KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Gary Edmonds. I'm a teacher with the San Diego Unified School District. I teach at Garfield High School. And as this school year comes to an end, I just want to say to Generation Z, there's something special about you. You have perseverance and we need you. The nation needs you. The world needs you to keep getting up, keep going forward and hopefully do what's right. Not just for yourself, for others, for humanity. Be encouraged, hang in there, go after your dreams. And we wish you the very best. God bless you. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. You are now listening to the Parker Edison Project. Good morning. Welcome to the season finale of the Parker Edison Project. Per usual, we'll be examining tenets of culture and things that really make America great. And no thing has made America greater than hustling. I come from a long line of go-getters, people who made opportunities where there are none. My great aunt on my father's side was Hattie Noel. She sang with Count Basie's band and appeared in 15 movies, including King's Row with Ronald Reagan. She auditioned for the role of Mammy in Gone with the Wind, but lost to Hattie McDaniels. On my mother's side, my cousin Deborah started off as a faceless accountant in the 90s and worked her way to Prince at Paisley Park and Dr. Dre at Interscope Records, The Chronic. They made something out of nothing. The title of this episode is Family and Legacy, Who You Are and What You Do. The Ford family built cars. The Jackson family made hit records. My family shared the art of hustling. The strategic skill set needed to succeed in this world's harsh conditions. They didn't give me fish. They taught me how to, and I've been eating ever since. My first guest gave me my first job and taught me everything I know. We call him King Ron. He's my older brother. Do you remember the, the G.I. Joe racket? I was like in first or so grade, and you would be like, yo, find out what G.I. Joes the kids don't have in their collections, and then just That's casually right. tell them that you got that in your collection. We would go with air quotes, procure yeah, them. The G. ones that, we, that they didn't have. Right. And, and sell it to them kids. That's right. Do you remember how you came up with that racket? Actually, I was thinking about it in the way of music. Let's say I didn't have a certain CD, Airbnb, Rock, Camera, something, whatever. But I know my homies had access to it. And then somebody else was asking me, hey, I need a public enemy or whatever. If I didn't have it, then I'm going to have to go try to fill that quota to get what they needed. But at the same time, I'm getting what I needed. That's what gave me the idea for that. It was like, uh, whatever toys you ain't got, we're going to try to make it happen. Do you remember what life was like at that time? What the street element was like? Was it safe uh, outside? I think in our inner bubble, every day what we've seen, it was like a, a normal everyday day. But back then, it was the Wild West back then. We were on the east side, so it was like a lot more gang members out, a lot more fighting, drive-bys, police chases, you know. I don't remember any parents being around, like... No, all the parents were either working or they weren't there. Uh, I remember there was this water balloon thing that you would do. We would 
get water balloons, get them to the kids, and one group of kids would hit the other kids with water balloons. And then those kids would get water balloons from us by buying them. And then we would almost start this kind of water balloon war in the summer. The kids would be buying the water balloons and we would be getting the water balloons, procuring them with air quotes and selling them back to the kids. That was us watching like uh, Spike Lee do the right thing. It was hot. You know, we had no hydrants. We could we could jack like that. Well, hey, get some water balloons and get a crack in there. You know, everybody got a, we got a hose. We're going to have the kids throw them at each other. And then, but, you know, on the retaliation tip, y'all going to need some water balloons to retaliate with. You know, it's going to cost you a little, a little something, something to get the retaliation balloons. Do you remember how old you were during that period? Oh, I must have been. That was 14. Having fun at the end of the day. I remember Jackie being a big part of getting those water balloons. Jackie was a major part of all that. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna say, you know, I'm gonna say Jackie was my COO. <laughs> I recall Jackie being a young, maybe 15, 16 year old boy, about 140 pounds, who wore a tracksuit with no pockets, who would literally, <laughs> he would literally steal full boxes of candy from the local stores with no backpack. With no backpack. I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted to this day. <laughs> Do you remember what you started doing next? We had the kids come over, pay to come watch uh, Back to the Future. We had the little Back to the Future cassette. Before anybody else did. Yes. We had the ice pops, we had the candy, sometimes some popcorn, you know, charge them whatever, and then they come over and chill, watch the movie. You know, we keep it rotating. Multiple screenings in a day, bro. Multiple, multiple until at least four o'clock. What happens at four o'clock? Four o'clock, that's when the cleanup process begins, you know. <laughs> Everybody got to go. Everything got to go back to the way it was at 10 o'clock. You know, yes, sir. mom's coming home at five, so everything got to be back to normal. The rubber water balloon tips would get picked up off mm -hmm. the ground outside, all the candy mm -hmm. wrappers from, I mean, mm -hmm. everything. Everyone just kind of had that. The kids just kind of knew yeah. that was the process. Yeah. One of the things that you did was you would literally turn a speaker out the window and just play music. Why? I had a lot of music that nobody else had. Everybody didn't get a, you know, get a piece of what they wasn't hearing. You always had stuff that other people didn't, man. Like, I got my love of, of B-sides from you and Rare Records. Like, all, all of that. Hey, like Master Ace, were you a fan of Master Ace? Did his stuff get played with you? Master Ace did from the, the symphony. Mm. The symphony. Marley mm. Marl, Master Ace. Uh, was it the Juice Crew? Master Ace was official. When does one person's experience become part of culture? When that experience is shared and people agree there's value. That kind of cultural currency can be passed down by a trusted source, someone of authenticity, like a family member or a close friend. Is there something special your family handed down to you? Yeah, music would be the thing that is a connecting line from my uncle to my cousin to myself. Um, it's kind of like our family legacy. That's Chris Kilsey Reyes. He's my business manager and head of sound editing here on the PEP. While he was editing the first clip, we began to talk about our upbringings. We realized it fell right in line with the theme of this episode to discuss it. So he called up his relative and the similarities appeared instantly. Tell me your name and where are you calling from? My name is Gabe Godinez and 
I'm calling from San Diego, California. I was listening to Parker and um, he talked to his brother for this episode and it made me realize, bro, like, oh man, like I had, I had an older brother hearing what Parker and his older brother did and all their experiences. And there was so many similarities between you and I and Parker and his brother, even though you and I aren't brothers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, I think every time somebody asks, like, are you an only child or you have brothers and sisters? And like, it, it always comes out the same. I grew up right next door to my cousin. And I mean, we grew up like brothers. Like, it was like we were together every day. Like, yeah. we're cousins, but I mean, we had that kind of brother connection. Pause. It's important that you know my cousin and I, only children to single mothers, shared a father figure in our Uncle John Barajas. JB was an accomplished musician and a part of a local legendary band named the Velvetones. This dude's face is on a mural in Barrio Logan right now. Nino gave us a bunch of game. I've always wanted to do a pause. Do you remember when you played baseball for, for Memorial? Like you were playing at in a Memorial Rec League. What happened was a gang member had gone through the wrong part of the neighborhood. The gang from that neighborhood was chasing this kid through the park. I, I remember that like it was yesterday. Like I and I've retold that story to people before because it's something it's one of those stories that, that did get imprinted. I remember being in the outfield and I remember I saw that there was some sort of scuffle happening over near the benches. And yeah, as they chased him, they went running through our dugout kind of area and started grabbing those bats. And I remember like seeing that something was happening and feeling like, oh shoot, like I don't want to be out here by myself. And as I went towards them, that guy that they were chasing was running kind of towards me and we crossed paths. And I noticed that he had a big knife in his hand. And uh, yeah, they beat him down with some bats. He, he did end up dying. Uh, I think oh, it was wow. a few days later, uh, there was a story of him uh, dying in the hospital. Yeah, wow. I remember you ran over to see if I was good. And you always did that. And not just for me, for like a lot of the kids in the neighborhood. Do you remember being like the organizer and kind of like the extra parent? Probably because I was one of the old older ones in, you know, in the neighborhood. Probably felt some sort of like, and it probably came from our uncle. Probably like, you know, you got to lead. You know, you got to, you got to, you got to kind of run things and kind of, you know, make sure there's some order. It's funny that you you saw this from from that perspective. Like you said, like you kind of looked up to me as big mm -hmm. brother. And I was just kind of living life, not, not necessarily <laughs> feeling maybe I was leading, right? Like yes. I was just being a teenager, like I wasn't trying to like influence anybody. Like my first introduction to hip hop was like deep, rare underground hip hop that you were playing. What do you credit your case to? Like, where did that come from? Yeah, I, I think I've always been curious. And, and it's curious that I never went the direction of becoming a DJ per se. I, I probably could have gone that direction and I just never did. You kind of were though, like at least to me and my friends, like yeah. we'd be like, oh, he's, oh, what's he playing? Like, I honestly, I honestly don't know where, like even how I started coming up on, on hip hop and, 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 you know, I, I, because there was no internet. I mean, I don't yeah, know. there wasn't, I guess it was just, it was, it was the, the warehouse and, and Sam Goody and tower records. Mm -hmm. Okay, last thing. Um, so there was two major hip-hop influences that you gave me very early on. One of those tapes was um, Inner City Griots by the Freestyle Fellowship, possibly one of the greatest hip-hop records ever created. 
And the other one called the symphony, Marley Mar the symphony. I remember Master Ace and I, and I remember the symphony. Um, I remember that I used to just grab those uh, maxi singles and, and you know, anything that wasn't like anything that was new. Like, like I said earlier, like just a curiosity. Like with Master Ace, I remember what he did for me. He had a sound that sounded East Coast, right? He rapped like mm -hmm. he, he was from the East Coast. He, he rapped, but the music that he played, you could play in cars. And I remember you really yeah, liked yeah, speakers yeah. and his music always had 808 bump in it. Like you get kind of uh, like, I guess, OCD about that kind of stuff. And I just I'll play <laughs> it over and over and over again. Tell people really quick how they can uh, follow you and the things that you're doing. As you can find me on the internet at I am Gabe Godinez, also uh, at Maven Workshop. Something that might seem small and insignificant, like sharing your favorite movie or record can have an impact that reverberates across generations. In some instances, it creates a scaffolding culture that shapes who others become. My next guest, it's not related to me. He's not a personal friend, but his experiences directly affected me as if he was. And I think it did the same thing to the people around me. It's an honor to even discuss his contributions. What's your name and what city are you in? It's Master Ace. Uh, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, um, but I'm actually in uh, northern New Jersey right now. I moved to New Jersey a few years back. This episode is about legacy and family. Your legacy is immense. Where, where should new listeners start in your catalog? They could really start at my album, Disposable Arts, which came out in 2001. I mean, I had three albums prior to that. It wasn't really until 2001 when I got my independence as an artist that I really started to, I feel like, flex my creative muscles and uh, use my writing ability to really get the, the, the message across to, to the listeners. So if you just want to get a real uh, sense of who I am as an artist and as a person, I would start at Disposable Arts and go forward from there. <laughs> That's dope, because I grew up with your records, man. I had, I had, you know, I had your classic stuff. And Disposable Arts was brought to me as an adult by somebody outside the culture. And they, they yeah. kept being like, yo, you gotta, you gotta sit with this. I felt like the, uh, the training wheels were off at that point because I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have to answer to any record execs. Um, I didn't have to compromise any of my creativity to appease someone who was above my project. And that was the first time that I was on my own to do my own thing as an artist with no feedback from anybody outside of my creative space. I was going through your catalog last night. I found the son of Yvonne just crazy. Is there anything that you could tell me about how what inspired that album? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess the first inspiration came from the MF Doom beats because he had released all of his instrumentals on a series uh, called Special Herbs. But he basically took every beat that he had previously released on different albums with different people. He put he compiled all of those instrumentals on one huge like box set. A friend of mine had had a copy of maybe 40 of those beats and he was playing them in his car one day and I asked him what, what it was and he told me you know these are MF Doom beats instrumentals or whatever and I was like oh, it's kind of dope and then the next time I saw him he just like handed me a CD like here you know for, for you to listen to 
So I would drive around listening to the instrumentals. It was a bunch of music that I had never heard before. I know real Doom fans know the, all these beats very well. I'm, you know, I'm listening to them, and I just started getting some inspiration to, to spit some rhymes over some of the beats. So I started kind of like lightweight writing, just little rhymes in my head while I'm listening to these beats. And I was like, I should do a mixtape. Just, just take a bunch of these joints and just do a mixtape and just release it, you know, for the fans or whatever. Because I was kind of in between projects at the time. And um, I mentioned it to my partner, Filthy Rich, and we were we were at a meeting at Fat Beats uh, Records uh, about another project that we were doing. And uh, uh, Rich just kind of offhandedly mentioned this mixtape that I was working on. And they were like, you're going to release it for free? Oh, no, nah, you can't do that. You know, <laughs> what are you talking about? Free? Um, and they came to the table with an actual deal uh, to distribute this project. And so at that moment, I realized I couldn't just spit a bunch of throwaway freestyle, just kind of off the cuff rhymes. Because to me, a mixtape, you just kind of rhyme. You just spit, you know, just going in, whatever. But once, once they decided that they were going to actually back it and re release it as a real official release, um, then I felt like I had to, you know, from a writing standpoint, I had to give it a little bit more. So I decided to dedicated to the memory of my mom um, who had passed in 05 and um, you know I was still struggling with that it was it was 20 uh, Son of Yvonne came out in 2012 so my mom passed in 05 so up to that point I was still having a tough time dealing with it and, 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 and coming to grips with it and I needed a way to uh, kind of release some of my feelings and thoughts and things I didn't get to say so I decided to kind of put that on the album and make it about my childhood as it relates directly to her. So I take the listener back to me at around the age of 12 or so. Um, and I take you back to my old neighborhood my, and get you get a chance to kind of peek into the relationship between me and my mom during that time period. And um, yeah, I decided to just make the album about that. Do you have siblings? Did they hear the album? Was it a point of conversation? I'm my only child, which 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 probably lends to the difficulty I was having with her passing unexpectedly like that. And I did share it with other family members, cousins, aunts, uncles, like those types of folk. Uh, I sent a few copies out to a few family members around the country, and you know they they gave me their reaction and their response, and you know it was all positive. They they just kind of knew I was going through stuff so they were just happy that I did it and it, it kind of became a, a in, in a certain way it became kind of like therapy for me to to release that album and to, to put it out there there's a track where MF Doom shouts out Guru from Gangstar and now that Doom has passed away that is super surreal did it feel as special then as it is now no when he shouted out Guru on the on the song it was because the night that we the night that I sat down with him, we 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 were on we were booked on the same festival, Montreux, the Montreux Jazz Festival, out in Europe, and we were booked on the same festival, and uh, we were actually on the same bill. So the night uh, after we, well, the night that we performed together, um, I went on stage, part of my show at that time because it was pretty close to the passing, it was recent to the passing of Guru. I, in my show, I would do. Um, I would do a gangstar song. I would spit a whole verse 
I, I would perform that every single night. And so he actually was stage side when I performed the joint. When he started to write his verse months later, I guess he, he drew inspiration from that night seeing me do the Guru song. And that's what kind of helped him, I guess, put his lyrics together for his verse. I was raised like a Muslim, praying to the East. Nature of my life relates rhymes I released like a cannon. Because I've been planning to be ramming what I wrote. I was going through your catalog and I've seen this has happened a couple times for you, man. Like your appearance on the symphony, uh, you doing Born to Roll completely like revitalizes car culture and rap. Uh, what, what's like the secret to being at the pulse of, of some of the most important moments in rap? A lot. But what I will say is I wish I took more pictures. You know, we, we live in an era now where everything gets captured. You know, everybody has a phone. Everybody has a basically everybody has a camera. Um, and coming up in those times, you don't realize what you're in the middle of and you don't capture it because you're living it, right? And then 20 years later, you're looking back like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I was I was talking to him right outside the club that night or whatever. And yeah, we was hanging out. Like we went and got something to eat, we got pizza. But the only memory of it is what you have in your head. And so when I look back, you know, what I what I have is you know, uh, bits and pieces of certain memories of things that happen. And sometimes I'll run into somebody in the industry up here that will bring up a story that I totally forgot about. I was like, oh yeah, I was there. Yeah, that's right. Like, <laughs> um, but if I had the photos, you know, it would have solidified those memories in my mind. I'm happy that I was a part of so many moments in, in, in hip-hop over the years and have really kind of seen hip-hop from its very beginnings until uh, uh, to, to where we are now. When you're done, when you decide, hey, I'm going to go do something different. I'm going to find something else to do. Um, what'll be one of the things that you're personally proudest of? Oh, oh, without a doubt, proudest of the fact that I was able to do the, to the, the the level of touring that I was able to do. You really look at my career, such a late state in my career. You know, um, four, I was on my fourth album before I really started to tour the world. Um, and then in 2000, everything changed. And all of a sudden, I became this commodity in Europe, in Australia, in Canada. Um, where I could consistently come back to these markets and pack and pack clubs and perform songs for different levels of fans, different age groups of fans, fans who only knew the first three albums but didn't know the later albums, fans who only knew the Spoils Bars Forward but didn't know the earlier work. And I started to bring together, you know, people from the ages of 17 to 45 to my shows, which was just pretty amazing and incredible for an artist like myself who, who hasn't had, you know, golden platinum success. You know, I had a few radio hits, but never to the level of what guys are getting now in terms of radio play. Um, so I think I'm proudest of really making lemonade with the lemons I, I was given in, in the latter part of my career. Well, you, you mentioned, um, you know, what I'm going to do next after music. And I'm already I'm already at that uh, at that transition. I'm writing 
um, a hip hop musical right now. I'm about two and a half, almost three years into uh, writing this musical. Um, I'm, I'm partnered with a, a hip hop theater company called Rhymes Over Beats, um, and they're helping me put together this musical. Um, I meet once a week with my dramaturge is a new term that I didn't know until recently. Um, and my, my dramaturge, her name is Kate. We meet once a week via, via Zoom. We read the script. She gives me feedback. She tells me where there's problems. And I go back and I try to fix those problems. But we've been developing this. It's been me and her have been, been Zoom chatting for two years now, almost two, over two years. And so that's one of the things that I'm um, fully working on. And, and, and these will be the things that, you know, to me will be the transition into the next part of my career because I, I'm a writer at heart. Music is one of the things that I do with my writing, but I'm a writer at heart. Later this year, if I can really get, get into it, I've been working on these other writing projects, so it's kind of slowing me down, but he knows that once I get going, I'm gone. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be rebooting the Master Ace Marco Polo, aka Master Polo, one more, one more again uh, later this year. That's the scoop right there, man. That's the scoop right there. <laughs> I'm like, a Brooklyn story too? We ain't gonna call it that. We don't care what you call it, brother. We just yeah. want it on the shelves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's coming. Honestly, um, where can we find you? Do you have a, a, a website? My website is masterace.com, M-A-S-T-A-A-C-E. Instagram is masterace.pics, P-I-C-S. Ladies and gentlemen, you have had the honor of listening to the Grand Imperial Master Ace. Thank you for your time, brother. Thank you. No problem, man. I appreciate it. Throughout the season, we looked at what makes a culture, from neighborhoods to religion to fashion, but family, legacy, is the most important. Master Ace used his childhood as fuel for his Son of Yvonne album. Where he's from played a huge part in where he would go. I'm greatly moved by that album, and it's recently become a bookend to the numerous Master Ace records that have soundtracked my life. My brother earned street cred by sharing those same records and inspiring neighborhood kids. They say it takes a village to raise a child, and Master Ace is a surrogate big brother and mentor to everybody in rap world. And the fact that an official rap legend, a GOAT, one of the greatest of all time, would take a few minutes to talk to me here doubles down on that and extends the longevity of his legacy. It deepens the impression he's made on my life. Speaking of musicians who make a difference with their work, we have a live in-studio performance from Trey Sojourn Hodgins. He opened the season with a musical message, and we had to have him back. Ladies and gentlemen, Sojourn. We, we want to praise you. A little yeah. different than some people do. Live from Sojournalist Media Studios for the Parker Edison Project. Season finale. Yeah. Yeah. 
I offer this from off the beaten path to off some of the awful audio y'all been subjected to. By contrast, this is awesome, made to connect with you. And it placed the cause for more of your artists who neglected to deliver more than half hearted. I live to give your whole soul music imparted to help you down the road if you so choose to use it. If not, let it go and discard it. I'm not concerned because the reason I started to speak on a mic is to lead you to light and expose my own darkness. So you know I mirror you, I just express like this for the raised fist in the face of resistance. I spit flames to burn away your indifference. My pen sprays with a mission, never to cease until completion is reached. I work to repair the breach and sojourn with that musical solution you seek. We don't complain about the game and we're ruins it. We are the change we want to see. Solution is in heart and mind is where revolution is. And in life and all mics is where we show improving it. We don't complain about the game and we're ruins it. We are the change we want to see. Solution is in the heart and mind is where revolution is. And in life and all mics is where we show improving it. I dip my pen into the Pacific and emerge with words so aquatic that my whole coast got lifted. And when the sands of time finally shifted, the culture was enriched by the dialect that it drifted its way. CA, state of the sunshine capital. The bass vibrates like earthquakes to rattle you. Acknowledging astonishment is what you have to do. I stretch attention spans when I spit thought to capture you. So taking the scenery of the picturesque, poetry depicts the West vividly so you get it best. Blessed literally with the fresh imagery that takes the breath, giving heat so you're left with the memories of just living free beneath the shade of palm trees. Enjoy the calm breeze and song from bomb MCs. Travel the world no matter where you roam. When you rest your eyes on Cali, you'll see why we call it home like that. And you don't stop. And let the car systems rock. Come on. We don't complain about the game and we're ruins it. We are the change we want to see. Solution is in heart and mind is where revolution is. And in life and all mics is where we show improving it. We don't complain about the game and we're ruins it. We are the change we want to see. Solution is in the heart and mind is where revolution is. And in life and all mics is where we show improving it. We don't complain about the game and we're ruins it. We are the change we want to see. Solution is in heart and mind is where revolution is. And in life and all mics is where we show improving it. We don't complain about the game and what ruins it. We are the change we want to see. Solution is in the heart and mind is where revolution is. And in life and all mics is where we show improving it. We don't complain about the game and what ruins it. We are the change we want to see. Solution is in heart and mind is where revolution is. And in life and all mics is where we show improving it. We don't complain about the game and what ruins it. We are the change we want to see. Solution is in the heart and mind is where revolution is. Stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned, Maya from Maya's Cookie San Diego. We are America's number one black-owned gourmet vegan cookie company. You can check us out on our social media at Maya's Cookie San Diego. I love you. I think I always will. Even now I'm reeling from the effect that you have on the rest of my life. I'm different now. As badly as I want to feel the heat between us, I know exactly how this is going to end. Now streaming at PlatformCollection.com is the new film short, Run Rick, a who's who of San Diego talent. Brought to you by the good people at Platform Collection. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at TrustYourHomeToUs.com.
C-Ray, my, my guy, you got the amazing interview to Maya's Cookies, the impeccable, undeniably underrated Master Ace for taking the time, Sojourn for doing a whole season worth of music, man, oh my God, thank you, thank you guys so much, hey, um, um, God and my mom, and of course my big brother King Ron, hey, I love you twin, look what we just did, bro, just two brothers from the brook, look what we just did, homes. hey, hey, uh, 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 oh, and you, the listener, thank you for listening, this is 10 episodes the whole season. I couldn't, I can't thank you enough. Appreciate it. See you next season. We shook up the world, y'all. Hey, we shook up the world, the world, the world, the world. The Parker Edison Project is produced and hosted by Parker Edison and the good people at Platform Collections. Be sure to subscribe and catch the next episode on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, visit the ParkerAddisonProject.com. Kurt Conant is audio production manager. Kenzie Moreland is podcast coordinator. Lisa J. Marzat is operations manager. And John Decker is associate general manager for content. This programming is made possible in part by KBBS Explore Content Fund. Who are you? I am Shirley Parker. <laughs> what, what do you do? I'm the mother of Ryan Parker and Parker Edison. Yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu.